Hello, and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Discovery Point Church again. It's, we're glad that you have chosen to worship with us today and you online. Welcome. We're glad that you are here. How's everybody doing? Great. You, you, you guys look awesome. Our God is good, and what a wonderful time of, of worship. So thank you, worship team. Uh, let's pray together as we get into God's Word uh, today. Father in heaven, Lord, as we have taken the time to be reminded of who you are through worship, knowing that we are seated with you, Jesus, in the heavenly places, and that you have given us a great confidence to go into a uh, a crazy world and a sin-sick world and share the good news of your gospel. We, we say thank you for, for all that you have done and have assigned our hands to do. And Lord, as we come to your word today, remind us of the confidence that you have given us and of the spirit, your spirit, that you have placed within us to carry out your great commission, regardless of who stands in front of us. Holy Spirit, give us the boldness today, and we pray that you would speak to our hearts uh, and our minds about what you called us to do. Lord, may your, the reading and hearing of your word uh, be a blessing to us today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I think there's, there's one thing that is true of each and every one of us, and that is simply this, that all of us can think of somebody or, or something that we just don't like. We can think of one person or one entity that when we, when we see it, when we hear it, just makes us want to go chew glass. It irritates us, antagonizes us, it ruffles our feathers. You know what I mean? Folks who aren't friends, who aren't even acquaintances, they're kind of frenemies and maybe even enemies. Those folks that when, when bad things happen to them inside, we just kind of want to do a little dance. Now, if you were to ask my wife about 20 years ago, what thing I disdain or, or hate the most. She would tell you it was Texas. And 20 years ago, that was true. I have since made peace with the state of Texas. However, the story is told of two Texas A&M professors who were flying back from a conference in their two-seater Cessna when they developed engine trouble and crashed into a cemetery. Well, Aggie search and rescue came out and they recovered 350 bodies. The, the pilot and the co-pilot both survived the crash and assisted in the search and rescue effort. Like I said, I have since made peace with the state of Texas. But truth be told, sometimes our relationships can turn extremely toxic. Our relationships can, can morph into a place of hatred, 
to where we, we have a disdain for, for another human being. And it's these people that we disdain, these people that we don't like, these people that we may even hate, that we, we keep them at arm's length. We, we limit our... We limit what we do with them. We limit our conversation with them. We limit our interaction with them. We even limit the gospel with them. Pastor Bob Deffenbaugh says in his article, Loving Your Enemies, Overcoming Evil with Good, he says this about the church. He says, even in the church, the vigilante spirit is alive and well. Christians sometimes attempt to sanctify their anger, calling it righteous indignation. But we too are tempted to retaliate against those who mistreat us. Piously, we may pretend to resist evil, supposing that God is on our side as we seek to even the score, quote unquote, by causing hurt or harm to those who have mistreated us. And I think this is true in the church that there are people that we despise, there are people that we don't like, there are people that we may even hate. I once had a co-worker who, who was a believer, but it seems that his job was to antagonize me each and every day of the week. And he would come into the lab and he would make a beeline for me, and every time I heard his voice in the background, I just kind of cringed and I rolled my eyes because I knew what was coming. And the relationship turned very toxic at church, at work, excuse me, until the day he, he, he lost his job because he refused to cease and desist, torturing me. And for a while, I was treading the line of, you know, I really, really, really beginning to hate you. But that begs the question. As followers of Jesus Christ, what do we do with people that we don't like? What do we do with people that we've made the decision to not associate with? What do we do with people that we hate? What do we do with enemies? As a mentor of mine once said, everybody doesn't like somebody. And I think that's true of all of us. If we think hard enough, there's that one person that just gets under our skin. And so tonight, I want to answer, I want to ask two questions. First thing, what limits have we placed on our love for those people that we don't like? What limits have we placed on our love for those people that we don't like? And the second question is simply this. How should we, as followers of Jesus Christ, respond to people that we don't like? I want you to think about this as we, as we get into our text today. How should we, as disciples of Jesus, respond to people that we don't like? If you remember last week, we started a new conversation. We started a new series entitled Relationships, where we are looking at those relationships in our lives that may need some attention. And last week, Pastor Greg talked about friend slips. Friend slips. These are friendships that, that have slipped. And he gave us three remedies 
for friendships. He said, first of all, meet people where they are, if you remember. Meet people where they are. Humble ourselves and meet them where they are. Secondly, he said to serve people in appropriate ways. To serve people in appropriate ways. And thirdly, he told us to have a relevant, truthful, loving conversation. Have a relevant, truthful, loving conversation. And prayerfully, those friend slips will turn back into friendships. But today we're going to examine how do we deal with friend slips that have turned toxic and moved from, from relation slips to enemies, people that we don't like, people that we can't stand, people that we may even hate. And so if you have a Bible with me, will you turn to Luke chapter 10? Luke chapter 10. And we're going to examine a, a parable that for many of us is familiar. Luke chapter 10. We'll start in verse 25. And just again, by way of, of, of review, uh, whenever we read parables in Luke, we want to see them as a story within a story. We want to see them as a story within a story, within a larger life story. And oftentimes in Luke, his parables will, will have a, a, an element of shock or surprise. The character will do something. Somebody will say something. Somebody will come on the scene. And it's in that power, in that shock or surprise that we discover the power of the parable. All right, Luke chapter 10. We're going, to be, uh, we're going to start in verse 25, but for context, here is the scene. Jesus has sent the 70 disciples out two by two to go into the villages to, share, to preach that the kingdom is near. And as they return from the villages, they are rejoicing and the disciples are excited because even the demons are subject to them. And they're amazed at this and they come back to Jesus and in verse 20, Jesus tells them this. He says, don't rejoice because the demons are subject to you. He says, rather rejoice because God has written your names in heaven. And in that moment, Jesus begins to praise God the Father. Look at chapter 10, verse 21. He says, at that time, Luke says, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. And Jesus turns to the twelve and he tells them that, that there are so many from long ago who long to see the things that you were seeing, that they longed to hear the things that you were hearing. And as Jesus is addressing his disciples, look at what happens in verse 25 with me. The text says, And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? As Jesus is teaching his disciples and telling them that folks have longed to hear and see what you were seeing, 
A lawyer stands up, an expert in the Mosaic Law. Uh, this is somebody who, who knows the Mosaic Law backwards and forwards. He is an expert in the law. He understands the law. He knows what the law means. He knows how to apply the law. He knows what the law requires. And the text says that he stands up to put Jesus to the test. Alfred Edersheim, in his, his book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, gives us a description of the first century lawyer. Listen very carefully. He says this. He is ubiquitous, indispensable, from Babylon to Jerusalem, the mouthpiece and representative of the people. As he pushes to the front, the people give way. They hang on every utterance as they recognize his authority. He has been solemnly ordained by the laying on of hands and is the rabbi, the master. He puts questions. He argues objections. He expects full explanation and respectful demeanor. His hyper-ingenuity has become proverb. There is not measure to his dignity, nor limit to his importance. He is the lawyer, the well-plastered pit filled with water of knowledge, out of which none can escape, in opposition to the weeds of untilled soils of ignorance. More than that, his order constitutes the ultimate authority on all questions of faith and practice. They were honored by God himself and their praise proclaimed by the angels, and in heaven also. Sounds like a pretty good deal. And so this lawyer stands up to put Jesus to the test, to see if Jesus is, is orthodox. See, in, in, in the first century and, and 400 years before, the rabbis had a narrowly defined system of interpretation of the law. And yet here comes this rabbi named Jesus who says things about the law that has never been said. He says things about God that has never been said before. He has done things that no rabbi has ever done before. And so he wants to put this rabbi Jesus to the test to see if he fits that narrow, narrowly defined system of interpretation of the law. And so he asked Jesus a question. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, right at the onset, you think, well, duh, you don't have to do anything to inherit because we inherit on the basis of relationship. And this is, at first glance, this is kind of an illegitimate question. But let's, go, let's dig a little deeper. In the within the nation of Israel, the primary item of inheritance was the land, the land of Israel, the place where God would dwell. And in order for Israel to inherit the land, they had to go into the land and conquer the land. Now granted, God would fight their battles for them, but they had to go in and conquer the people groups that were living in the land. So this question can really become, what must I do to live in the land where God will dwell forever? It's a pretty important question. And I'm sure that at one point in time, we've asked that same question. What must I do to be saved? Look at verse 26 with, it, with me. Jesus answers the question. 
And Luke records, and he said to him, what is written in the law, how do you read it? You know, it's pretty safe to ask a lawyer a question about the law. And so the lawyer answers Jesus' question in verse 27. It says, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Now, this answer is perfectly acceptable. You see, what the lawyer does is, in Judaism, he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, which says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This is a response to what is the core confession of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, which is the Shema. And Deuteronomy 6, 4 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And that Israel would respond that we shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That is the response to that. The lawyer also quotes Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, Leviticus 19.18, where it says, You shall not take vengeance, nor beat, nor bear any grudge, against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And this is a priestly interpretation of the last five of the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy 6.5 is an interpretation of the, the first five commandments. And so what the lawyer does is he summarizes the Ten Commandments in two verses. You want to have eternal life? You want to dwell in the land where God, you want to live in the land where God will dwell forever, all you have to do is love God with all that you are perfectly for the totality of your life and love your neighbor as yourself perfectly for the, for the totality of your life and then you can inherit eternal life. What's the problem with that? We can't do it. We can't keep the law. And it's at this point. Well, look at verse 28 with me. Jesus answers him and says, says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Love God perfectly for all of your life. Love your neighbor as yourself perfectly for all of your life. And you will live forever in the land with God. But again, we can't keep the law. And this lawyer is now in a theological pickle. Because if he says, I've done this, well, everybody knows that he's a liar. If he says, I haven't done this, then he will bring shame and dishonor upon himself. And what he really needs is some, some fact or some point in the law that he can check off and say, okay, I've done this. And so look at the text with me, verse 29. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, in the first century, if you were Jewish, every other Jew was your neighbor. And anybody who wasn't a Jew was, was not your neighbor. So the lawyer's question really goes beyond who is my neighbor. And it's become a question of who am I bound to love? 
Or better yet, who am I not bound to love? It's not so much a question of inclusion, but it is a question of exclusion. And so Jesus answer, answers this, this, this lawyer with a parable. Look at verse 30 with me. Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and immediately as a first century hearer, you go, that's right. It's that windy, rocky road that descends about 3,000 feet over about 18 miles. There, there are rocks and there are boulders, and um, it's a great place for robbers to hide out. And, and so you know, what, you know about this road. And so he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. History records that it's a common occurrence, and it was a common occurrence on this road to Jericho from Jerusalem for people to be mugged and even sometimes murdered, so much so that this road was, was named the Way of Blood. And Jesus says that this man, as he was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, that he fell among the robbers and they, they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. So they beat him probably with rocks or, or clubs. And Jesus says that they stripped him of his clothes, most likely his outer garment, which was valuable, leaving on his inner garments, which had no value. And he says that they left him half dead. Don't miss these details. No clothing, beaten, unconscious man with no way to tell if he is your neighbor. Now in the first century, there were two ways to tell if someone was your neighbor. And the first was by how they dressed. See, the Jews wore a certain dress and other people groups wore a certain dress and in the first century, you could tell if someone was your neighbor by how they were dressed. I mean, if you're walking down the street and you see a guy in cowboy boots and wranglers and a big fat belt buckle and a cowboy hat, you know right away, oh, he's from San Francisco. Right? And so you could tell if someone was your neighbor. But there was a second way to tell if someone was your neighbor. And that's by how they talked, by their accent. I mean, think about this. If you're in New York City and you go to watch a Yankees game and you get hungry and you want a sandwich that is, you know, a, a cylindrical meat product, you're going to ask for a, for a hot dog, right? And if you're in Chicago watching the, who plays in Chicago? The who? The Cubs, watching the Cubs play, you're going to ask for a hot dog to New York and ask for a hot dog, you're going to start a big ruckus in the, you know, in the stadium. But you could tell if somebody was your neighbor by how they dressed and by how they talked, by their accent. Look at verse 31. Jesus says, and by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. This priest, most likely having fulfilled his duties, serving in the temple, came and, and saw the man, and he, he passed by on the other side. He doesn't render aid. Well, if we're real, he might have been just scared, thinking, you know, I could be next. My, my sister used to live in 
South Central LA in Watts. And when we would go, to, this is years ago, when we go to visit her, uh, we made sure we wore certain color clothes. We didn't look anybody in the eye. You know, we didn't, make, we didn't draw attention. We were somewhat afraid because, well, we're in South Central, we're the you know, gangland. Um, and it's kind of the same thing here. This priest may have just been a little afraid that he could be next. But also, priests placed a high value on ritual purity. And if they were to come into contact with a dead body or a non-Jew, they would render themselves ritually unpure for seven days. But look at what the text says. It says that he was heading down from Jerusalem to Jericho, suggesting to us that he had finished his duties in the temple and was headed home. And the law does allow for acts of mercy that trump purity laws in situations like this. But the priest sees the man, and he walks on around, and he goes on to, to Jericho. Verse 32, likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. The Levites assisted the priest in the temple. And notice that the Levite comes up to the place, and he looks at the guy, checks it out, and he keeps on walking. He's not bound by the purity laws like the priests are. Nonetheless, he chooses to not get involved, and he chooses to keep heading home and not to help. Well, we've had a, a priest come, and we've had a Levite come. Well, who should come next logically? A righteous Jew, right? Should come to render aid. Look at the text, verse 33. But a Samaritan. Hey, there it is. I don't hear any shock or surprise. Try one more time. But a Samaritan. Very good. Very good. Jews hated Samaritans. Let me say it again. Jews hated Samaritans. They despised Samaritans. Jews prayed daily that God would not let any Samaritan into his kingdom. As a matter of fact, if you were a Jew going from Galilee to Jerusalem, you would take a two to three day shortcut around Samaria so as not to get the dirt from Samaria on your sandals. They hated them just that much. They were considered half-breeds and sometimes even less than human. See, in AD 721, when Assyria conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, they, they transported some of the Israelis to other countries, but they imported a lot of foreigners into Samaria, the northern kingdom. And the Jews began to intermarry these other people groups. And this, this, this rubbed the, the Jews the wrong way who kept their, their place. And again, so they were considered to be half-breeds. Half, half um, and again, sometimes half-human, who had the audacity to only accept the first five books of Moses, who had the gall to worship God in some other place other than Jerusalem. They, Jews hated Samaritans. Verse 33, but a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. This is your first century first aid kit. The oil would have softened the skin where the, where the bruises were, 
and the, the wine would have disinfected the wounds. Verse 34, he, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. When you see the word inn, don't, don't think holiday inn. Don't even think Motel 6. Because inns were places where robbers and, and thieves and Samaritans would go and stay to lodge. Look at verse 35 with me. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever, you, whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. And so this Samaritan, hated by the Jews, has compassion on this fellow and takes care of him. Now, look at verse 36 very closely with me. Jesus asked the lawyer, this expert in the law, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell upon the robbers? Verse 37. And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said, go and do the same. The lawyer asked Jesus this question. Who is my neighbor? Jesus asked the lawyer this question. Who proved to be a neighbor? Do you see the difference? Who proved to be a neighbor? You see, neighbor has no boundaries. Everybody that we encounter is a neighbor. That includes our enemies. That includes people that we don't like, people we can't stand, people who we just cringe when we hear their voice. Neighbor knows no bounds. And the hard truth is simply this. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, we must be a neighbor to all men and women everywhere, regardless of the color of their skin, how much we like them, how much we don't like them what their beliefs are, what their sexual orientation are, what their views on abortion are. We are to be a neighbor to everyone. The Apostle John says this in 1 John 4, verse 20. He says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. It's, hard. it's a hard thing to say, Lord, I love you, and then go to come to worship God, but still have people that we dislike and we hate. Matthew says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. This is Jesus talking. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. As Christians, it's in our very nature to live a life that is countercultural. And as much as we'd rather not engage our enemies, Jesus says that we need to love them. Romans 12, 18 says this, and this is Paul talking, and I love it, through verse 20. He says, if possible, 
Because Paul understands our condition. He says, if possible, possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. He understands that some relationships were just not going to mend. But as much as it depends on you and me, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, let him starve. Right? No. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. We need to love our enemies. And sometimes we say, but I don't want to, or it's just hard. Remember, you've got the Holy Spirit indwelling you, living within you, to empower you to do things you can't do in and of yourself. Three observations, and then we'll, we'll close. Number one, as Paul said, if you can, reconcile with your enemy. Have a conversation. Talk about the issue that is dividing you. Talk about what, what caused the division. Do it in love, but talk with them. And mend the relationship. Number two. Even our enemies need the gospel. Jesus has given us the great commission to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. That includes people that we don't like, people that we keep at a distance. They need the gospel, too. And do we hate people so much that we want to see them go to hell? God doesn't. And we shouldn't. And sometimes it's, it, it means telling the flesh, not today. But letting the Spirit lead us, because they need the gospel too. Thirdly, pray for our enemies. Don't pray that a train will run them over while they're waiting to go to work. But pray for them. Pray that God will give you the strength and the wisdom to talk with them to reconcile the relationship. Pray that God would open up a door to share the gospel. Pray that God will give you a heart and desire for them, to love them. Pray that the Holy Spirit would empower you in the inner man to reach out to them so that they can see Jesus in you and in me. Does that make sense? A holy man was engaged in his morning meditation under a tree whose roots had stretched out over a riverbank. And during his meditation, he noticed that the water from the river had begun to rise. And he noticed uh, a scorpion caught in the roots and was about to drown. And he crawled out on the roots and reached down to free the scorpion. But every time he reached for the scorpion, the scorpion would strike at him. And another man came along and said to the holy man, don't you know that that's a scorpion and its nature 
is to want to sting you? To which the holy man replied, that may well be, but it is my nature to save. And must I change my nature because the scorpion does not change its nature? I think the message is clear. We have a new nature as Christians to take the gospel to everyone, including people who may still dislike us and who may hate us and who we may still dislike and may even hate. God has given us a new nature. And that new nature is to share the good news of the gospel, even to our enemies. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just want to take a moment to say thank you for your word. And Lord, uh, I'll be the first to admit sometimes it's hard for us to get out of the way so that you can work through us especially when it comes to people that we don't like. Lord, even people that we might hate. Lord, I pray that you give us a, a heart of compassion, like, uh, just like the Samaritan. Give us a heart of compassion for our enemies that we might share the good news of your gospel with them, that they might experience your love and compassion through us so that we can prove that our amen on Sunday matches our actions on Monday. And so, Lord, use us for your glory in the lives of our enemies. And we ask this, Lord Jesus, in your matchless and powerful name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you and God bless you.